I grew up in Maine and my parents uh, called me like a barefoot wanderer because that is how I spent my summers. I spent a lot of time outside, bare feet. My dad hated it because you go outside bare feet and what do you do? You track all of that inside. I see some of the parents in the room, you're like, yes, preach. Um, and so I was a barefoot wanderer and I, I, it wasn't always by choice. You know, sometimes my mom would shoo me outside and she's like, go play. And then I'd hear the click behind the door, right? She locks me outside. Um, but it was, I, I just, that's how I grew up. And I was always exploring. I was always in the woods and I was always just kind of trying to find new ways to just, you know, engage in nature. And um, I, I distinctly remember there was one time where I was wandering through the woods and I ended up in a neighbor's yard. We lived on like a little, like one and a half acre lot. And I ended up in this neighbor's yard that I'd never been to before. And I remember I was looking around, I was probably like seven or eight years old. I remember looking around going, I don't know how I got here. Like, I know that I walked through the woods, but I don't know where home is. I don't know how I ended up here. And luckily I had neighbors that were awesome and they know ex they knew exactly who I was. And so they come out and they're like, Brandon, I know you're not supposed to be here. And they kind of, sh you know, shooed me and scurried me along back. They, they were like, you can see your house through the woods, but I wasn't tall enough. So they, they bring me back home. They, they knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And so they helped guide me back to where I was supposed to be. But there was also a time, I remember I was a sophomore in college. I went to Gordon College up on the North Shore. And we had to do what's a, a class called Discovery. Now, any Gordon grads in the room, you know what discovery is because we all have to do it. And it is something else. Uh, there's high ropes courses. There's a retreat. There's danger. Uh, there's like, you know, not bungee jumping, but like they strap you in and they're like, jump off this pole 50 feet and we'll catch you. Like that kind of stuff. And there was one time where I, I remember we, we all in the class, we, we had to hold hands and kind of get in a line. And they're like, we're going to put a guide in front of you. And we want you to follow the guide through the woods. And it was like, okay, this is easy enough. But the trick was, then they pulled out blindfolds. And they blindfolded all of us. And we had to blindfolded follow this guide through the woods on a path and trust that he or she, I don't remember who was, had our best interest in mind that they would take care of us, that they wouldn't lead us somewhere that, yes, we might not know where we're going, but we're going to trust that wherever they lead us, they're going to have our best interest in mind. Now, here's the thing. In both of those scenarios, they were both scary. Like when I was eight, I remember, I don't know where I am. This is, I've wandered far from home. This is scary. And I remember being a sophomore in college. I'm like, I don't know if I can trust this person. Like, I know if I was the guy, I'd be like, yeah, follow me. And I'd lead people right into trees. Like, that's who I am. That's what I do. And so I was nervous. I was scared. It, it, but in one situation, I led myself into the woods. In another situation, I was being led into the woods. And last week, we kicked off this series where we're looking at what do we do when we feel like we're lost in the wilderness? When we, we look around and we don't know where to turn, we don't know which direction to go, we don't know how to find answers when we feel alone or isolated or distant from God. 
And so last week we looked at the, the very simple takeaway that every wilderness isn't always a wasteland. That there is something that God wants to teach us while we're on the mountaintops when everything's good, but there's also something that God wants to teach us when we're in the valleys, when we feel like life is not going our way, when we feel distant from God, there's a purpose and a plan for every season of our life. And that's like, we did that very intentionally last week because I want you to hold on to that thought as we journey through the rest of this series together. Because today we're going to be looking at the story of someone that you might not know that well. Someone that we find in the very early parts of the Bible, and her name is Hagar. And Hagar knew the wilderness really well. In fact, what we're going to learn from her story is that there are two different kinds of journeys into the wilderness. The first is like me being led by a guide at Gordon. Where, where God is leading us into the wilderness and we can trust that it's going to be a time for us to grow, to be challenged, and our trust is going to be developed because he knows that's what we need. So that's the first kind of being led into the wilderness. But then there are times where we lead ourselves into the wilderness, like me wandering through the woods and ending up somewhere that I wasn't supposed to be There are times where God wants us over here, but instead what we do is we wander over here. And then God has to come in and say, no, 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 I I need you over here. This is what Hagar learns. And this morning, if you're feeling like you're in a wilderness in life, I want to ask you, and just be thinking about this as we go throughout this teaching today, I want to ask you, what brought you to the wilderness that you're in this morning? Can you confidently say that God God has brought me here? Or have you led yourself there? Like, did you, have you wandered far away from where God maybe wants you to be? This is what we're going to see in Hagar's story is that, 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 that there are times where we lead ourselves and there are times where God leads us. Now, here's what's amazing is what we're going to find is that God is big enough to meet us in either situation. That's how big he is. That's how great he is. And so now I want to give you just a little bit of context for for who Hagar is. She's not somebody that we know very well. We don't know her story that well. And so to understand a little bit, we're going to be in Genesis. Now, Genesis, first book of the Bible, okay? Just kind of turn your book 25 pages, boom, you'll be there. There are Bibles on the seats in front of you if you you need a Bible Um, or pull it up on your phone or whatever. It'll be on the screens. But Uh, By the way, this just happened last service, so I'm going to remember to do this. If you don't own a physical Bible like this and you want one, come to the Connection Center after the service. I will give you a Bible for free. Like, I'll give you brand new free copy. You can walk home. You can take it home today. Okay, so that's just a little side note. But Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Man, what a promise. So right here we meet a man named Abram, um, who's married to his wife. Her name's Sarai or Sarai. 
And you may know them better if you have like just maybe a little bit of understanding of the Bible, you've read it a little bit. You may know them better as Abraham and Sarah. Because a little later in Genesis, God actually renames them and calls them Abraham and Sarah. And I want you to imagine this morning, I want you to imagine that God audibly spoke to you this morning and said, hey, today I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Like I, you are going to be a blessing to others. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have more descendants than you can count. Like that'd be pretty amazing. What a promise, right? That's incredible. And so we, we go on, let's, let's jump ahead just a couple chapters to chapter 16. And let's see what's happened after God has made this promise. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, it says this. Now Sarai, or, or Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram's and Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Okay, so wait, hold on. What what do you God? Just put yourself in Sarah's shoes here. God, you promised to make me into a great nation. And what we're about to see in verse three is it says that, so, Sarai's, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So hold on. God, you told me, you told my husband that you would make both of us into a great nation with more descendants than we can count. And it's been 10 years and we haven't had one kid. What are you doing? Like, just imagine the frustration that Sarah feels. God, you promised this, and now here we are 10 years later, I don't have one kid to show for it. How in the world, now Sarah's an old lady at this point, she's in her 80s, how in the world are you going to make us into a great nation with more descendants than we can count when it's been 10 years We don't have one kid. So Sarah takes a shortcut. Sarah says, let's let's make this happen. And maybe you feel that way this morning. God, I know you told me this, but I think I found a way that's less painful, a little quicker, and you and I both get what we want. And so we look for these shortcuts. I'll do it my way. That's what Sarah does. She's like, I'll just do it my way, God. I'm going to use Hagar, then we'll have kids. It'll be all good. (laughs) And here's what happens, verses four to six. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and Hagar became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Now there's a lot that we could unpack here. We could unpack Sarah's anger at Abram. We could unpack Hagar's pride, right? Hagar's gloating a little bit. She's like, Sarah, look, you know, look what's going on here. 
We could also unpack the fact that Abraham, what the heck is this guy doing? Step up, bro. What are we doing? We got Abraham here. I don't, so there's a lot that we could unpack, but here's what I want to lean into. The end of verse six says this, then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. It boils over this frustration, this anger. It boils over to the point where Hagar feels trapped and lost and lonely. And so what does she do? She runs away. She looks for an escape and she takes that shortcut. She gets out, which is something that she shares in common with Sarah and something she shares with most of us. That when we feel lost in the wilderness, we tend to look for a quick escape. When we feel lost in the wilderness, we look for a shortcut. We look for a quick escape. Now, remember, how is Sarah feeling in all of this? She's feeling trapped. She's feeling lost. She's feeling lonely. She's feeling insufficient. She's feeling defeated. She was in like her own little wilderness of not being able to bear children. And so what does she do? She looks for an escape. She looks for a shortcut. She says, listen, God, you're not doing this on my timeline. I got a way that we can make this happen. So that's Sarah. Sarah takes the easy way out. She takes the escape. Then we have Hagar. Hagar feels trapped. She feels lost. She feels lonely. She feels defeated as Sarah starts to treat her with contempt. She starts to deal with her harshly. And so what does Hagar do? She says, man, I'm out of here. Like, get me out of here. Give me the escape and I will take it. And I think sometimes we, myself included, do the exact same thing. We do the same thing. God has us somewhere doing something, working at a job or neighbors with someone and it becomes difficult and we say, where's the shortcut? Like, where is the exit? Get, get me out of here. God, this is too hard. I, I know what I signed up for. I said that I would follow you for the rest of my life, but I didn't know it would be this hard. So get me out of here. But do we ever stop and ask, God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? Are we so eager to get out of it that we miss what God's trying to do through it? Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Paul says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. What Paul communicates here is, listen, you're going to face hardships, trials. You're going to feel like you're distant from God or walking through hard things. It's all for your good. It's good for you. But it's hard to remember promises like this in Romans when we feel alone and lost and without purpose. I went to, you guys, so uh, just a couple years ago, I went to a movie at uh, Showcase in Randolph. You guys remember going to movies? You guys remember what that was like um, before Prime Video and straight to HBO and Netflix and all this stuff? I remember going to this movie. I don't remember which movie, and you're going you're gonna to understand why. Because about 15 minutes into the movie, the fire alarms went off. And it, some of you, maybe you've gone through this before. You're at the movie theater and the fire alarms go off. What happens? 
chaos, chaos. I got old ladies pushing me out of the way, right? Like old guys that I came in with a walker and now in a full sprint to the exits, right? Like these young kids are climbing over chairs and stuff. People are making a beeline to the exit. And okay, it's smart. Yes, there could have been a fire, but my point with all of this is I think there are times spiritually where we do the same thing. There's a little bit of an alarm. There's a little bit of trouble. And we're like, get me to the nearest exit. Get me out of here. I, I, I can't be here anymore. I need a shortcut. I need the way to the parking lot as quickly as possible. Meanwhile, God may be saying, no, 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 no. Stay. Like this is going to be hard. But there's something I want to teach you trying to teach you patience. I'm trying to teach you to trust me. I'm trying to show you that there's a part of you that you won't let go that doesn't look like me. So this is going to be hard. But instead of staying right here in the story of Hagar, she chooses instead to lead herself into the wilderness and run. Let's go to what happens next in verse 7 of chapter 16. So Hagar's on the run. John the Lamb. I don't know what that means, but I know it's an expression. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. Okay. Now I have to, I have to tell you what's happening here because this is unbelievable. The first part is that Hagar is found by a spring of water on the road to Shur. Now, Hagar, what we learn in Genesis is that she was an Egyptian that had joined Abraham's family on their travels. And what we see based on what most scholars and where most scholars believe this spring of water was on the road of Shur, what it leads them to believe is that Hagar was traveling somewhere. Do you know where she was traveling to? Egypt. An Egyptian that was in a hard season was going back to what she knew. And we do the same thing. God, this is really hard. It's uncharted territory. So you know what? I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to what I used to do. Right? Maybe, maybe there's a time where God calls us into a, a new state and we go and we work this job and it gets really, really hard. And so what do we do? We move back home. We're like, God, get me home. Get me back to New England. Get me back to my town. Get me back to my coffee shops. Get me back to my restaurants. I need to be comfortable. Or, or maybe it, it, we get into a new job and it's, it's really hard. And so we're like, I'm going to go back to my old job. The old job that was way easier that I knew how to do and I could get by barely doing anything, right? Or maybe where, you know, we, we struggle with alcohol and it's like, God, staying sober is really hard, so I'm just going to have a couple drinks a week. Or God, I know that you told me to trust you with my finances, but that's really hard, so I'm going to go back to what I know, which is this is mine and I'm going to spend it how I want. And yet, even as Hagar leads herself into the wilderness and is trying to escape to what she knew best, the angel of the Lord found her. 
And this angel of the Lord is not just any angel. This blew my mind this week. The, the way that most scholars interpret this and understand this text, based on the interaction that the angel has with her, based on the way that the angel talks to her, and Hagar talks about the angel, and the translation from the original text, all of these things lead us to something amazing. That this angel of the Lord is in fact the pre-incarnate Jesus talking to her. This is Jesus talking to her before Jesus became a baby and dwelt among us and became an adult. This is Jesus having an interaction with this single mom with a pride issue. Like that is who is meeting with Hagar in the midst of her trouble. And this is what I want to, last week we talked about Henry Nouwen, a great Dutch Catholic Roman, a Dutch Catholic priest. And he said this, that, that the plate, the wilderness is a place of great struggle and great encounter. And right now Hagar's gone through the great struggle and now she's having a great encounter. And listen to what he asked her, where have you come from and where are you going? And this morning, maybe God's asking you that question. Listen, where did you come from? And where are you going? Now, what's amazing is is God knows the answer. The angel of the Lord in this moment, he knew what Hagar was about to say, which is, I'm running away from my mistress. Like the angel of the Lord knew that, but he asked that question so that Hagar has to acknowledge, here's what I'm doing. And here's what happens next, Genesis 16, 9 to 14. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. But then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Then the angel said, also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son, which you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. What a promise. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Maybe some of you have a child like that. I'm just kidding. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. I love this. This encounter leads her to this point. She said, you are the God who sees me. And she also said, I have I truly seen the one who sees me. So that well was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar gave Abram a son. Abram named him Ishmael. So what does Hagar learn in this interaction? What is God trying to teach us and remind us of today, I think it's this, that he is a God who sees us and wants to restore us. That he is a God who sees us and wants to restore us. See, God met Hagar in all of her brokenness when she was on the run in a wilderness that she didn't need to be in and says, listen, this isn't where I want you to be. And he restores her and gives her promise and then leads her back to where she needed to be. She learned in that moment that if God could be with her in the wilderness and all of her desperation, God can be with her when she has to deal with her angry mistress, Sarah. 
And so this morning, maybe you're in a wilderness of your own doing. You've wandered far away from God and what God wants you to be doing and how he wants you to be living. And I want to encourage and remind you this morning, he still sees you. There is nowhere that you can run. There is no distance that, that you can go to where God all of a sudden can't see you. God sees you. In fact, multiple times through the Bible, God says, I will never leave you or forget about you. He's ready to restore you. He's ready to lead you back to where you need to be. And so Hagar, feeling restored and seen, she goes back. She goes back to Abraham and Sarah. Now I want to jump ahead to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. And in chapter 17 and 18, God again (laughs) speaks to Sarah and Abraham and he says, listen, I haven't forgotten about you. I will make you uh, the, the parents of great nations. You'll have more descendants than you can count. More descendants than the stars in the sky. And so in chapter 21, 13 years after Hagar's son Ishmael is born, Sarah gives birth to her first son who's named Isaac. Genesis 21, 8 to 10. This is where we pick it up. Now when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. Now, brothers will be brothers, right? So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I I won't have it. And so here's Ishmael, 16 years old, making fun of his three-year-old brother. And Sarah's like, you know, not on my watch. Get this, get this chick and get this kid out of here because I can't deal with it anymore. It goes on verses 11 to 14. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But here's the difference. Here's where the story takes a unique turn. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, but I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with her son, and she wanders aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Here goes Hagar again, wandering in the wilderness, but this time it's different. It's different this time, and here's why. God tells Abraham, listen, I need her in the wilderness. I actually need her there. So you sending her there, this is actually for her own good. Trust me. So this time she's not wandering. She's not leading herself there. This time God is leading her there. And what I can tell you is that when God leads us into the wilderness, we can trust that he will provide. When God leads us into the wilderness, we can trust that he will provide. But that's a promise that's it can be hard to remember once we're there. Once everything becomes hard, once we look around, we don't know where to go, when we feel lonely, when we feel desolate, when we feel distant from God. It's like, God, I know you said you'd provide, but I don't see anything going my way. 
You feel distant. I feel lost. I don't know where I belong. And I don't see what you're trying to teach me. And I'm sure Hagar came to this moment in verses 15 and 16. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of the bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. Now, don't forget, just about a decade earlier, she has a face-to-face encounter with the angel of the Lord. In desperation, the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, listen, I got you. But now here she is again in desperation, and she looks up and she says, God, I know I said that you're the God who sees me, but right now it feels like you're the God who forgot about me. Where are you? What are you doing Have you forgotten about me? And this is what happens. His promise, God's promises are good. Verse 17, but God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him and I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water and she quickly filled her her container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness and became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. In her desperation, she learned dependence on God. This morning, is that what God's trying to teach you? Like, are you in a desperate place because you've been trying to do it in your own strength? Like, you've been walking through life saying, honestly, God, it's a lot easier when I just do it myself. In fact, when you get involved, it's harder My life becomes more complicated. So you come to this point of desperation, and meanwhile, God's just been trying to teach you dependence on him. And that's what Hagar learns through this, is that not only can she count on God to see her and hear her, but remember, what does God do? He shows up and gives her a well to drink from, exactly what she needed. He provides for her. He sees her, he hears her, and he provides for her, even in a miraculous way. Now, the text doesn't tell us if that well was there and maybe she had a heat stroke and she just didn't see it. Or maybe God just created a well and gave it to her. This is the same God that said, let there be light and there was light. If God wanted there to be a well, I think he can make a well. He provides for her. A few weeks ago, um, I, I, there's a guy in our church broke his leg really, really bad. Really, really bad. Needed multiple surgeries. And this is probably four or five months ago. It has not been progressing well. Um, and a few weeks ago, I saw him at church. I could, you know, he came in still limping. I could tell he was really struggling, really down. So I went over to him. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, how, how's it going? And he, he tells me, I've actually, 
I had an appointment this past week, and the doctors told me that my leg's not healing. Like, it's, it is not progressing in the way that it should. And he was just beaten up. And he goes, I have an appointment on Tuesday, and we'll, we'll see what happens. And I was like, okay, well, why don't, for the next two days, why don't, I'm just going to pray with you. Let's just pray that God, God does something. We don't, God can do these things. And he goes, all right. So Tuesday comes around, and I get a phone call in the afternoon from him. And he goes, hey, I have to tell you about today. He goes, I was sitting in my truck, and I was just praying getting ready to go into the doctors. I was just praying, God, just do something. Like, please don't forget about me. And he said, he went in, <laughs> this is amazing. He goes inside, he walks over to the elevator to go up to his room, and the elevator doors open, and this little old lady, probably in her 80s, walks past him. And then all of a sudden, she turns around, and she goes, hey! And he like, turns around, he's like, Yes? And she goes, the big guy upstairs is going to take care of you. Then just walks away. <laughs> okay? Oh, we're not done. So his mind's already blown. He gets in the elevator. He's on his way up. And he's like, God, what is happening right now? Gets upstairs. Doctors come in. They're like, hey, you know, we know it's not going well. Let's take some x-rays and let's see what's going on. They take x-rays. They come back. They're like, all right, we don't have a way to explain medically or physically how much your bones have grown. We, like, we can't explain this. Can you? He said, yeah, I think I can. <laughs> and he called me sobbing. Could barely make it through that story. Because <laughs> he said, I've just been sitting in my truck just saying, God, you, you didn't forget about me. Thank you. This is how God works. God's still living and active. He still hears us. And this morning, I, I don't know what the wilderness is that, that God may be leading you into or the one that you've led yourself into, but if you feel confident that God is before you, that you spend time in prayer, you spend time in his word, you feel confident in, in, the, in the spirit, you feel confident godly friends are coming alongside you saying, yes, you're about to, it seems like you're in a season where God is trying to teach you something in the wilderness. If you're in that place, what I can tell you is that God promises to provide for you. That he sees you, he hears you, and he will provide. 
And there may be hard lessons that you have to learn along the way, trust and faith and dependence and repentance and et cetera, whatever it may be. You may have to confront some things that you don't want to have to confront. Little pieces of yourself that you've just kept pushing down saying, God, you can have 98% of me, but this 2%, this is mine. And God's like, fine, we're going to go into the wilderness and we'll see about that. He does all of these things so that we may be formed more into the image of Christ and look like Jesus to those around us. The author Robert Mulholland puts it this way, and I resonate with this. Graspers powerfully resist being grasped by God. We got any graspers in the room? Manipulators strongly reject being shaped by God. And controllers, this one's for me, Controllers are inherently incapable of yielding control to God. Spiritual formation is the great reversal of those things. They're saying, God, I yield control to you. God, I yield how I'm shaped to you. God, I yield my power and what I want to you. That's what happens when we surrender our life to Jesus. And as Jesus sends out the 12 disciples into different towns to talk to, to, for them to share about all that he's doing, Matthew chapter 10, he says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can even fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What is Jesus promising? God is, he, he's promising God sees you, God hears you, and God will provide for you. And the scholar Donald Barnhouse says this about Hagar and her story. Hagar thought her circumstances needed transformation. In fact, she needed transformation. If we seek to change our circumstances, we will jump sometimes from the frying pan into the fire. We must be triumphant exactly where we are. It is not a change of climate we need, but a change of heart. And maybe that's what you need this morning. It's not a change of scenery. It's a change of heart. It's not transportation of somewhere new. It's transformation in Jesus. So where are you this morning? Where are you at? Maybe this morning you led yourself into a wilderness. You're like me. You wandered into the neighbor's yard that you weren't supposed to be in. Or maybe, and this can happen too, maybe someone else dragged you into a wilderness. And this morning you need to be restored by God. You need to turn back to him or you need to turn to him. Listen, the story of Hagar is beautiful, especially for those of us that are in the room that have turned and followed Jesus. And maybe this morning you haven't made that decision. You haven't committed to following Jesus for the rest of your life. And if you haven't this morning, here's the promise I want to give you, that God sees you. God sees you in your mess. God sees you when you're stuck out in the wilderness of your own creation. God sees you in your brokenness. God sees you and he says, come to me. I'm a good father and I will restore you. I love you. I will give you peace. I will forgive you. No matter how far you've wandered, I see you. Now maybe this morning you've 
followed God into the wilderness, but you're trying to just make it on your own. And it's not going well. Just as Hagar and Ishmael did in the wilderness this morning, maybe what you need to do in desperation is cry out to him. And in desperation, find dependence. Maybe this week you need to spend some time just quietly listening. Don't talk. We do a lot of talking. Sit and just listen. God, what do you have to say to me? And just be quiet. Or maybe this morning you need to challenge yourself with some fasting. This is for followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and this, is, this isn't for you. This is for those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus this morning. Jesus tells us different ways that we can grow and look more like him. And one of those ways is through fasting. Fasting, man, if you want to learn dependence on God, don't eat and see what happens. But if you want to learn more about fasting and, and how you can practice that regularly in your life, grab one of these cards on your way out. But right at the info bar, and it just says, what is fasting? Why do we fast and how can we do it? Maybe this week you need to spend some time in prayer. And truthfully, you don't know where to start. If that's you, I want you to grab one of these cards. It says prayer on it. And on the back, it says, what is prayer? How can we pray? Start there. Maybe you need to spend some time reading his word. You need to actually open up this book. And, and instead of saying, God doesn't do this, well, let's see if he actually does. Grab one of these cards, it says soap on the front. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. It's a great little tool to just help you walk through reading God's word. And lastly, maybe right now you're going a million miles an hour and you have no rest in your life. The Bible actually commands us to rest. For those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus, we are commanded to have what's called a Sabbath. And a Sabbath is another way to show that we trust and depend on God. Because we say for one day a week, God, not what I want. Today, I'm not going to check my emails. Today, I'm going to put my phone in a drawer. Today, I'm going to intentionally spend some time with my kids. Today, we're not going to do sports. We are going to have a day where we sit, we delight, we rest, and we spend time with God. Grab one of the Sabbath cards. It explains it. It's a great place to start. No matter where you are this morning, here's what I want to leave you with. Trust in God that he will provide and he is good even when life isn't. Because he is the God who sees you. Let's pray together. God, there are people all over the spiritual map in this room. And what I'm thankful for this morning is that you see each and every one of them exactly where they are. You are the God who sees them. You are the God who hears them. And so right now, God, if there are people in this room that have not surrendered their life to you, have not gone all in, turned from their disobedience or selfishness towards others and chosen to follow you, God, I pray that right now you would draw them to yourself that they would make the decision. And then next Sunday, when we celebrate in baptisms, God, that they would take that step that we would be able to baptize them and celebrate that somebody has gone from death to life. 
God, for the people in this room that feel like they're in a wilderness right now and they don't feel seen, they feel forgotten about, I pray that this morning they feel encouraged. That they feel encouraged that you will provide for them. Sarah and Abraham had to wait 23 years. But guess what? You provided. Help us, God. Help me to be able to wait two weeks. Help me to be able to be patient, to trust in you, and to not look for the quick escape or the shortcut. God, you are good. We love you. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.